Hello and welcome to Strong Habits, the accidentally feminist fitness podcast about all things training, nutrition and mindset. I'm your host, Penny Varvaridis, and this is episode 58. How are you all doing? I'm okay, thanks. Thanks for asking. I love it when you interact with me. If you've been wondering what you can get your loved ones for Christmas this year, or even how you can support small businesses so you don't give all of your money to Amazon, may I suggest you purchase 30 Day Bender, my 30 day flexibility program helping you squat better, overhead press better, get deeper into your front squats, touch your toes, and more. This 30 day program comes in ebook format with video demos of all of the moves. I'm so excited about it, I want you to be excited about it, so why don't you get yourself or your pals a copy of the 30 day bender for Christmas and gift each other the gift of movement. It's a pandemic Christmas and things aren't going to be the same but you may as well buy my programme because I would appreciate that a lot and I think you would appreciate it a lot too. So. Anyway, I have another special guest for you. Gosh, I've done so well with guests over the last few weeks. I've been really excited about this interview for months, and I'm so pleased that we managed to make it happen. I spoke to Ben Patrick, aka the Knees Over Toes guy, about how to build strong knees that knee better. We spoke on the 5th of November, and he's in America, so we spoke in the evening. I may have forgotten about Bonfire Night when I arranged that one, If only there was a catchy rhyme to remind me. Alas, apologies for the fireworks in the background. Anyway, Ben is world-renowned for being the knee guy. I've been following him for years. His methods have definitely played a part in my own knee hab, as well as in the knee hab of many of my clients, especially after this summer when I did his knee ability certification online. He's a real smart guy and he's real nice and he did this interview while driving somewhere with the family and then taking his new tiny human for a walk. Man knows how to multitask. Anyway, without further ado, here is the interview. Hi Ben, how are you doing? Hi, I'm doing very good, how about you? Yeah, I am doing good, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Can you introduce yourself and your work to the listeners? Absolutely. Um, Thank you so much for having me on. I am a very specialized uh, trainer. Of course, I do the whole body because people come to you for the whole body, but my specialty is knees. And to put it quite simply, by the time I was 18, I already had three surgical alterations and had to quit basketball. And so I pretty much devoted myself. I was always obsessed with training, but then I just channeled all that into figuring out, okay, how do I bulletproof my knees so I can play basketball again? And by just staying on that, I've been able to get very good at that. And now that's, you know, it's turned into a career for me. I have suffered from knee pain for years as well. So I've been following you for a while and implementing stuff from your videos. And then this through lockdown, I did your knee ability certification so I've been using that on myself and my clients as well which has been super helpful and I hope I didn't think about the fact that it was bonfire night today so you can probably hear fireworks in the background so oh I was wondering apologies (laughs) no worries well I have for the listeners she's great and all set up I have a baby in the background that I'm trying to keep asleep 
So if anyone is to blame on this episode, it's definitely me. <laughs> Between us, there'll be perhaps explosions and also tears. We'll see how we go today. And hopefully so- some knowledge explosions, hopefully some worthwhile <laughs> explosions too. How did you hurt your knees initially? Well, this happens to a lot of basketball players is that, of course, you have like an acute injury. But for me, it was more like just such degenerative problems. So for me, it started around age 12. I actually had my first knee condition started around age nine. I had like a knee dislocation, which was really strange and happened about 100 times over the next 15 years or so. And eventually that just stopped from the knee around. Around nine, I had this sort of freaky knee condition, but it never occurred to me that I had like bad knees. Then around 12, I really just had chronic knee pain. Now I was practicing like six hours a day. By nature, I'm obsessive in whatever I do. And I assumed that just the more I practiced, the better I would get at basketball. And that was true from a skill perspective, but my body just became ruined. And then on top of that, now I have the pressure, couldn't jump high. So now in addition to all the basketball, now I'm doing all these super intense plyometrics was just I was not ready for it all so 14 15 16 17 basketball really turned into like a nightmare because of the chronic pain so even by the time none of my surgeries were even from acute injuries uh one of them I had my kneecap didn't even form the right way there was like a a massive like chip in the upper left of the kneecap that again wasn't even from an impact injury just uh (laughs) from how, you know, badly my knees had formed. Uh, I'd been, I had a torn quad tendon for, they thought it had been torn for like years and I was just playing through it. And then uh, my meniscus finally fully tore. I was diagnosed hundred percent torn ACL. So it was just, but none of these even do I remember like an exact moment that it happened. Plus I was pumped full of painkillers by the time I was in my teens. So that's a scary thing when your pump's so full of painkillers that you might not even feel, you know, when you're doing something that's, you know, I might've torn something without even knowing it. You know what I mean? So it wasn't like just some unlucky injury. It was chronic pain, not knowing what to do about it. And then just continuing to beat on my knees year after year. It's a common story, I think in athletes generally, but particularly when you're younger, Because if you just want to get good at something, you just do lots of it without the consideration of volume control. Yeah. Kids are not educated in the health of their body at all. You know what I mean? And then we're taught by our coaches, you know, to just push through the pain and that somehow makes us better. We don't understand the long term that, you know, hey, right now you're watching your favorite players on TV, but by the time you're that age, you know, for every guy you see on TV, there might be a hundred guys who are going under the knife for knee surgery and we'll never know what they could have done. You know, we're not, and that's a scary thing. Like, what are you going to do? Tell that to a kid? You know what I mean? So it's in terms of solutions, the solution is not necessarily to scare kids, but just to start integrating things to teach them that pain is their body communicating to them, you know, and you don't want to just suppress that communication of the pain. You want to actually do something about it and not play through pain that's a really important lesson if we could just get rid of the whole no pain no gain attitude around exercise I feel like injuries and pain (laughs) would be much less yeah and to make it to make it cool for people and this is why I think 
honestly, I think the reason I'm having success is because I've tried to make, <laughs> you know, taking care of your knees sexy, you know, like it's not, these aren't like exciting exercises, like plyometrics or Olympic lifts or things like that. And so that's why I think it's been tough for them to get traction, right? They're not explosive and fun. <clears throat> and I've turned it into something where it's like, look, if you play sports and your knee hurts and your body's giving you this pain signal, that's actually indicating room for improvement on your jump itself, because the very thing that will protect against that pain could potentiate more performance. So hopefully people by the end of this don't have a, a pessimistic attitude that it's like, oh, we have to just stop doing everything we love. I look at, you know, whatever pain someone has right now, I look at that and I go, wow, look how, look how much more potential you have, whether it's, you know, whatever part of your body it is, wherever you have that pain, I think, oh, wow, that's actually potential that you could perform even better. I love that. That's wonderful. How did you deal with the mental stress of 10 years of being in pain and then not being able to play? Oh, I, I didn't. I was completely depressed, honestly. Uh, I just wasn't a happy person at all and was fortunate enough to meet my wife shortly before I started having some breakthroughs. And maybe, you know, the mental side is huge. And maybe that's what that might have honestly been what kind of lifted my spirits enough to even, you know, I don't know, think something could be done about it, find answers, you know what I mean? But I didn't, there's no, unfortunately for people, I don't have any special advice on, you know, dealing with the mental side of it, because I didn't, I was completely depressed, to be honest with you. It's really hard. I think depression is a common side effect of injury, especially in someone who really loves training. Yep. Just not being able to do the thing that you love really sucks. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's like, you know, simplest way to get depression. Take what someone loves, take it away from them, you know, boom. And what made you decide to share all of the things that you learned about knees with other people and create your knee ability program? I remember when I had the first success with my knees at all, and it was really from this totally different viewpoint of, and this, this is a quote from Charles Poliquin, who trained a couple hundred Olympic medalists. And his take was, you know, the athlete whose knee can go farthest and strongest over the toe is the most protected. Now, I didn't know what I was doing. His exercises were too tough for me. Really, my whole system was reverse engineering that philosophy of the farther and stronger your knees can go over your toes, the more protected you are. I had to figure out how to do this without pain. But even just from working on this relentlessly, I started having some breakthroughs and I immediately called my best friend from, from high school who also had problems. And I was like, dude, it, it's all going to change. Like we can be out of pain. <laughs> so my, my nature was always to help. So from the very first person I knew who needed my help within weeks, way before I was a professional you know, trainer, I was already calling him got him training with me. He got out of pain throughout college. I was helping teammates. Even when I'd be back home on, on weekends and summers from college, lo I'd be training local kids and helping them. And so it, it's just by nature that just because you have something for yourself and this could go for anything, whether it be money or anything else, just because you have for yourself, that does make you happy, but there's more, there's more happiness to gain. So I'm, I'm, greedy, if you will, and that I don't quite feel the satisfaction if I just do something for myself. I like seeing, you know, the happiness for other people. I just bought my dad $750 basketball shoes for Christmas because they were like the original Michael Jordan shoes that he saved up 
months of pay for in the 1980s. I don't think I've ever bought myself a pair of basketball shoes over $120. (laughs) You know, (laughs) so it just happens to be the way it is. That's just how I'm wired. I mean, that's very cute. I'm sure your dad will really like that. Yeah, he's going to flip. I'm not going to tell him how much they cost. I'm just going to tell him, just save these, don't wear them. (laughs) So you mentioned knees going as far past your toes as they can. Now, for some reason, the world is full of people that think your knees aren't supposed to go past your toes at all. Yep. Why do you think this idea is so prevalent? Yeah, and we can totally break this down. Um, In the 70s, you know, exercise science in the scheme of things is pretty new if you think about it. And most of the studies were being done. What got popular was powerlifting, bodybuilding, some, you know, more fitness, aerobic stuff. Uh, Exercise science hasn't been fully approached from a bulletproofing perspective. You know, most of the tests are done on really simple concepts. And they, they established the simple concept that there's more pressure on your knee when your knee goes over your toes. So, no long-term study was done on that. That was just a simple observable study they did. And quite frankly, the majority of trainers and doctors have still carried through this idea that you shouldn't let your knees over your toes because it's more pressure on your knees. But that's, that's entirely a life philosophy. And if you look at the results of anything, when you take the very protective mechanisms that, yeah, of course, if you're not protected there, it's going to be hard. But now if you avoid that quality, sure, short term, don't let your knees over your toes and you won't hurt your knees in training. But what are you setting yourself up for in life? And so unfortunately, if you just look at the stats, the the knee surgery rates are just blowing up to epidemic proportions. So I'm not here just because of, you know, lack of something better to do. It's like we have a real problem and I'm trying to solve that problem. And now as you peel back, step by step, the more tests that are done, all you see is the same concept. Oh, wow. Actually, the better your knee can go over your toe, the less chance of knee surgery. The stronger you are stepping down with your knee over your toe, the less chance of knee surgery. The better your knee can fully bend when you know your knee goes over your toe, the less chance of knee surgery. So my job is then just how do you get there without hurting yourself in the process? The solution is not to force yourself into painful positions, but to gradually bring about protection and strength in those positions. And I, I really haven't found any outliers for that in, in any area of the body or, or really in life, like life is hard. So either we, you know, prepare for it or we hide from it. We hide from our problems and we feel okay now, but we are asking for, you know, disaster later on because we're not at all prepared for life. Do you think there's an age limit on doing these movements on getting your knees past your toes? That's such a good question because the coolest thing is actually like the, the best studies we have come from older population because just simply walking backwards, which if anyone objectively does this and stands up right now and just goes to take their first step backwards, you'll see that all that happens is your knee goes over your toe. So walking backwards is a simple test of how strong you are with your knees over your toes. And when this is tested on older people, They've found that that alone is an effective screening process for falling, which a lot of people don't realize that for older people, we only think of cancer and heart disease, but more people die each year from falling actually in that, in the very older crowd. And you can even look at, uh, you know, in, in 
Asian culture. There was a signal breakdown in this bit and Ben sounded like a robot, so I'm going to paraphrase for you. He was talking about how in Asian cultures, older generations have much more mobility than we do in Western cultures. And a lot of that is because they make movement much more of a habit than we do. He then goes on to talk about the benefits of walking backwards in the research. Whatever it is in terms of more you know, intense activity, they just want to hang on to their knees. And that's actually 15 minutes a day of backward walking. Of course, you find a safe area. Ideally, some grass in a warm area where it's safe, you check the footing, but you could do this if it's winter months, you could go into the basketball courts or really anywhere that you have safe footing. 15 minutes, three days a week is actually a phenomenal first step. And like my mom's 66 and so she does that and then she builds on the other steps and now she, she just ran like a half marathon and I was at the finish line waiting for her, hoping that she'd be alive. You know what I mean? Like I thought she was insane to try to do this. And she was literally like, oh, my God, that was easy. You know, no knee pain after no. But so here she is at 66 and she did that. But you got to think about it in terms of levels, meaning not everyone aging has to run a half marathon. I know I, I don't like running unless it's for basketball. You'll probably never catch me running, you know, half a mile, let alone a half marathon. But the point is, that was something that she wanted to do. So there is this could even, depending on the age range, you could even build it up quite a bit. And what I like seeing most is that my mom will, you know, take, be able to take my dog for a run or things like this, that it's like, wow, she's actually going to be able to like play for real with my kid, you know? Um, so I, I think that's where I, I do think anyone, even as the age could still like, you know, pretty vigorously, you know, play with their grandkids and stuff like that without limitations, be able to bend their knees all the way down. Sorry to just ramble on that point. No, I think it's really important, though. How long have you been training your mom to do stuff? Um, when you think of the knees over toes stuff, it seems really scary at first. And it's really, I'm stuck in this marketing world where what gets the, you know, like on TikTok, I have, you know, a post with like 2 million views. And it's me doing the freakiest, most difficult knee over toe shit. And then so many people criticize, like, you're going to hurt people with that. It's like, but yeah, but that's what gets so many people even aware of the product in the first place. And then when I post helpful shit for you guys, no one watches it. You see what I mean? So it's scary at first. And so for, for someone like my parents, it wasn't real to them that they would be able to like do the training I was doing. But that was actually a big motivation for me because I understood the long term of it. And I understood that by getting my parents exercising, it was actually the best thing I could do for them. And so that is why I've, you know, really polish these routes for any age. And so probably three years ago is when I finally, when my mom actually started like coming to the gym with me and actually being willing, you know, so that's really cool. And of course now she totally understands it. Now she's gotten hundreds of other people, everyone who, you know, reaches out, she sends them stuff on just these simple things like backward walking. And some of the tibialis exercises are super simple. And some of the very stuff you see me doing that looks really scary you can actually regress it way down just to the level, you know, that you can do totally pain-free where you feel comfortable. So now she's like an advocate, but it even took me as the trainer. It, it probably, you know, took me a, a couple of years uh, to convince her to give it a shot. I am impressed that you managed to get there. I think it's hard with parents because especially like they just, I think, don't really want to listen to you. So It was my, it was my toughest sell for sure. <laughs> So I 
have fallen in love a bit with their ATG split squats. I think this is probably my new my favorite exercise yeah. for sure. And I love that it is so easily scalable. So literally anyone can do it regardless yep. of their mobility. Can yep. you talk us through what the ATG split squat is and what the benefits would be for people listening? Yeah, and I think this is the the absolute perfect microcosm of everything of how I view training, right? So the the super deep squatting, you can see that in like Olympic lifting, right? And it's like you're you're you drop, you know, cheeks to sneaks and it's very intense and that can seem very scary. And that's a quality though, that, you know, someone like Charles Poliquin was like, well, you know, the guy who's protected can do that very well. And here was me like, well, that shit hurts like hell, <laughs> you know, like I can't, I can't do that or whatever. Um, and especially this affects people who have difference from one knee to the other, right. Or a difference from the knees to the hips and, so we want to be able to do a deep squat. So in reverse engineering this, I have come about that my favorite is the ATG split squat. So it's a full range of motion split squat. And the first place that occurred was in the 60s with like Soviet Olympic weightlifters because some of them would actually catch their Olympic lifts in a split stance. So the, the back knee is virtually, the back leg is virtually in a, in a split. And you can see in lots of my posts, I maintain, I can do the front splits, you know, 365 days a year without even really stretching just from the strength work. So I, I maintain easy front splits because that back leg is in like a, you know, such a stretch position, but then the front knee is simply fully bent. The hamstrings are completely covering the calves. So in the sixties, people were catching Olympic lifts like this and it kind of fell out of style. And then if you think about just that quality though, it's like, oh, wow, you can actually train full range of motion squats one leg at a time. And the traditional exercise for that is the pistol squat. The difference between the ATG squat, the ATG split squat and the pistol squat is in a pistol squat, you sink down. And of course it does take some knee strength, but it gets a lot more into the hip. And it's a lot trickier to scale because if you can't do one, it can be kind of tricky to getting to do one. And usually you have to shorten the range of motion. Whereas with an ATG split squat, you can just elevate your front foot, which reduces the load. And instead of the pistol squat, which I actually find people end up with some, and again, I don't want to criticize any movement, but different movements have different drawbacks or maybe things you would need to balance out. So I can do pistol squats and they're fun, but I notice people in doing those are more vulnerable to back issues and to tweaks in the knee. Whereas with the ATG split squat, instead of tightening up your hips, it actually lengthens your hips. So just because you're getting a stronger knee, if you're getting stiffer hip flexors, that starts messing up the chain, pulling on the rectus femoris, which is the muscle in the middle of the thigh, which now is tugging on the kneecap. So I've seen some very strong knees, but people who built them on split squats still prone to more tweaks in the knees and the back. Whereas the ATG split squat versus the pistol squat, you get the full bend strength, but in a more controlled setting where you can really precisely see, okay, just how strong is my knee, not my hip. So it kind of isolates the knee strength away from the hip strength while working directly and measurably on your ankle mobility, 
your hip flexor length. So it's just like a, it's like a, you know, a pistol squat in a more controlled setting with a little bit more benefits in my opinion. And now you can also see on my Instagram page, maybe, I don't know, eight posts back or something. I can do that ATG split squat now with, um, with a hundred percent of my body weight in additional load. So that would look, you know, very scary. And what's cool is that I was able to build up to that, not from doing squats. So I actually have a super strong squat now without squatting and just with ridiculous ankle mobility, ridiculous. Like I said, I, I maintain the splits. I don't do any stretching, just strength work. Um, so pretty cool side effects, super healthy, low back, crazy ankle mobility can do the splits and have perfectly balanced strength between, you know, one thigh to the other strong legs, high vertical jump. And it's the primary driver of all that is the ATG split squat, which I had to start with my front foot elevated using assistance most days, and then just gradually getting stronger. So it's cool that it's like, it's money in the bank towards bulletproofing. Whereas when it comes to driving up a squat, it can almost be like, feels good at first. And then as you like, as you start hitting plateaus, you start actually like risking more injury to try to strain to get that extra weight. So the, it's almost like the harder you work on ATG split squat, the more bulletproof you get, whether someone then wants to squat or Olympic lift is up to them, but it's actually not, it's not my passion. Um, you know, since the ATG split squat gets it done for me. And can you give a real simple progression for someone who is coming back from a knee injury and they want to get back to playing sports? So getting back to running and jumping. Definitely. That would start with, that would start with rebuilding. When you've had an injury, you start losing. And this is a big mistake in knee rehab is you don't just lose the strength of the thigh. You actually lose calf and tibialis strength below it. And I could talk all day just on the importance of the tibialis, which again, where we're at in exercise science, we don't even have studies on strengthening that muscle, even though it's for sports, we get hurt in deceleration. Boom. We plant and cut and all this stuff. So the first line of defense for your knee is the tibialis muscle. We don't, it's not even really trained in sports or if it is, it's like dinky band drills, but then we're using, you know, then we're using real resistance and training hard on everything above, you know, everything above the knee, like we're training hard and everything below is thought to be dinky or unimportant. So for sure, rebuilding the calves and tibialis and the ankle mobility, because whatever that ankle mobility can't handle, causes undue stress in the knee. And there's, again, there's studies showing that, that the stiffer that ankle mobility, the more likely you are for knee ligament tear. So it's not really a rush coming back from knee injury. It's a rebuild from the ground up. And then to parallel what I was discussing for elderly on walking backwards, we'll now think for an athlete, think walking backwards while dragging 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 30 pounds, 40. So backwards sledding, not just as like a once in a while thing, but as in like, you know, let's log some considerable miles, maybe, you know, a third of a mile per session. And let's log some considerable miles backwards till you feel like you can push backwards with zero pain, super hard. And then you're getting crazy pumps to heal. So the, the backward sledding, and I have videos of this showing a bunch of different ways because not everyone has a sled, but essentially getting strong in reverse also becomes like a really key concept. And for that one, whereas with the backward walking for elderly, I recommend 
uh, 15 minutes, three times a week. For the backward sledding, I recommend two minutes straight with a break, three sets. So three sets of two minutes straight done three times a week. And that could be used as a warm-up to then get into the more mobilizing and loaded drills. Because unfortunately, it's not like I can have like a standard of measurement on a sled because sleds vary in friction and what surface you're using and all that good stuff. Whereas with other exercises, I can be like, okay, this much definitely puts you, you know, in a good range on your ankle strength or range and knee strength and range. So that would really be like the foundation of a rehab. And, you know, the, like I said, rebuilding your muscles from the ground up with your calves and tibialis and the mobility in those areas, getting just wicked good. Like you want to think, okay, if we put a hundred pounds on the sled and I'm a rugby player, I could go backwards from one end of the field to the other better than anyone I'm playing against. That would be like your philosophy. So it's not like you're just doing it again. It's like a dinky rehab. It's like, you know, you're working like hell and you're never stepping through pain. And that's the cool thing with that is just like with the backward walking, you control your step distance, you control how fast you go. And so as there's no pain, you can start pushing harder and harder on that backwards sledding. And it can be very tough, as you know, to even get that real blood flow, because when you have the pain, that pain signal shoots. So it's so hard to like get a pump to the very area that you want to train. So that's why in injury, like if someone's healthy, they could, they could just do things like the ATG split squat and probably just live an amazing, you know, sports career. But for people who've had the pain and injuries, it's almost like the more difficulty you've had, the more that backward walking or backward sledding concept becomes really important. And I, I've logged how much I've done of every exercise in my system. And I've now done way over 100 miles of backward sledding, which if you broke that down to let's say a third of a mile on average, three times a week. So, you know, a mile a week, it's not as crazy as it sounds of just, you know, a couple, a couple of years of consistently trying to reverse out knee pain, I think could actually change the rest of someone's life. And it seems like, Oh my God, a couple of years. But again, that is my philosophy in a nutshell. It's not, okay, you've been training for 10 years. Let's try some fancy therapy for six weeks. And now your knees are going to be good to go back to what you were doing, destroying yourself for 10 years. It's more like, this is like a way of life, right? Similar to diet. So many of us are like, look, the solution is not some super quick fad diet for 10 days. And, and maybe that could even help short term, but the solution is actually just a different lifestyle. So I don't, all the stuff I'm talking about, I don't consider to be something that you only use when you're having problems or that you only use for a short period of time. I'm actually encouraging people to make this part of their training lifestyle. You know, it's, it doesn't take an excessive amount of time. They're, you know, qualities that make you more athletic, that make you stronger in your body. And so I, I hope I didn't, you know, scare someone away by saying hundred miles, but it, that's actually not as bad as it sounds. And that would, that would only take two years to do. What is a way that someone could replicate that backwards sled pull if they don't have a sled? Trick question. And my baby's crying. I'm in the car. I'm going to get to a nice parking spot and then start walking him. Once he's walking, he's fine. So if you hear something, don't worry. I'm taking care of my baby. <laughs> I'm not trying to neglect him. I'm just sitting at a traffic light trying to get to a spot I can stop. Anyways, the most common is that gyms will have a treadmill and you get on it and you don't turn the treadmill on. That way it takes some strength to get the belt spinning on your own. Stick your bum against the handles that you would normally hold facing forwards. You can hold the sides, whatever's comfortable, but essentially it's a 
reverse dead mill. So the treadmill is off and you're trying to get that wheel spinning backwards. Nine times out of 10, this works. About one in 10 treadmills is either so new that it like locks and it won't let you move it if it's not on, or some of them have like no internal resistance. But I'm telling you nine out of 10 treadmills give enough internal resistance that trying to go two minutes straight like that, and it's way harder than it sounds. And with every step, you're getting stronger with your knee over your toe. Step whatever it takes to be not in pain. As you get stronger, as the pain starts going away, go faster and faster and faster. And then it's really cool because now it's like the harder you work, the more protected your knee gets. And you're not in pain, but you're feeling muscle burn. And it's really good that we got to touch on the point of the muscle burn because that's where that no pain, no gain philosophy comes in is that you have hard driving coaches trying to drive teams to victory. And I don't think they ever intended that it was, you know, to work through pain that's going to cause long-term issues and surgeries. It was more like, you know, when your muscles are burning, when you're fatigued, whenever, you know, pushing through that to try to get to victory, but that's where some confusion came in. So this, this gives you a really clear concept that it's not about pushing through knee pain. You'll feel that burn come in and it, then it becomes very apparent like, Oh, wow. The, you know, the harder I push through that burn, that muscle burn, the more adaptation I'm going to get, the more protection I'm going to get. And for people who've had a lot of pain, it's actually kind of a blessing and it almost feels good to be able to challenge your muscles without joint pain. Cause that joint pain is so much more annoying than the muscle burn. So that's the most common way. Sleds are fairly cheap. The problem is where are you going to use it? You have to have extensive space indoors or you can go out to a field, but you have to have the ideal weather. You can use a car that's in neutral. That's like my favorite for whatever reason. I love the car in neutral and you put your butt against the rear of the car and you just work backwards. So you have to go out to some, you know, it might be tough in a big city in small towns. It's great. Cause you have like your local schools just have these massive parking lots. You could use a hill. You'd have to make sure it's safe footing and you'd have to come down slowly. Cause if you just clopped your way down pounding on your knees, that would defeat the purpose. But if you came down slowly, you would actually add some additional uh, benefit to what you're doing. And you can even do things like you can get, uh, you know, a duffel bag. I know at local home improvement stores here, it's like five bucks to get 50 pounds of sand. And I find that about half of your body weight in sand in bags works really well. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll post, I'll post more videos of this and I'll, I'm happy to send you any videos for your people because there's maybe, there's maybe six or eight, you know, common ways. But the reason I described the dead mill in detail is that it's definitely the most common. Like if your gym doesn't have a sledded setup, the dead mill is going to be the most common option by far. As you can hear, there's no more crying because we're, we're walking now. As a sidebar, is it really difficult having uh running a business and also raising a tiny new human i mean a yeah tiny human is a full-time job i'm sure people out there who have kids can relate i'm just fascinated by people who have more than one kid i think that's you know because me and my wife it's like you know two on one we're barely surviving but the the truth is it's all fun and as as humans we actually we we thrive on more challenging situations not less so I've never had more fun and, you know, it makes you get your shit together even more, you know, maybe I don't have time to do things that aren't so productive. So I have to streamline my time or things like that. So I would say for someone to, you know, I was, I didn't know what it would be like having a kid, but I would say it's much better than I thought. And it just kind of makes life even more of a 
fun and challenging game. Are you looking forward to being able to teach him how to play basketball? Oh my God. Yeah. I can't wait. And you know what? It's, I'm not going to be one of those, you know, parents who forces their kids into stuff. It's really just the thing I'm looking forward to is the fact that I know how to prevent all these, you know, sports pains and injuries that my poor parents were taking me to doctor after doctor, you know what I mean? Trying every, every cream and balm and treatment and surgeries. And, you know, I feel bad for my parents because they had to go through all that. And obviously all they wanted was for me not to be in pain, you know? So for me, it's just knowing that whatever he wants to do, and even if he wants to do something completely outside of, of sports or fitness, just that, you know, we're all subject to these different pains and injuries. So it's just going to be fun that he's going to be able to grow up and, you know, learn all this stuff and have a really, really bulletproof body. That's, that's going to be super fun for me. And of course I'll be, you know, you know, I'm going to be posting like a motherfucker on just, you know, all these different things that, uh, you know, fr from the time he's, you know, squatting below parallel as a baby, I'm sure I'll start up some, <laughs> some posts about it. Um, I think, I think he's going to be a good little experiment for you in to see if you really can bulletproof someone, if you start them early enough. Oh yeah. Without question. And actually pre-corona, I was already having our kids classes ranged as, as young as five years old, you know, and I have, I just finished writing up yesterday the 12 most common mistakes in youth training. So we're actually well beyond having, you know, the necessary research to knowing how to prepare our kids better. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. And even though I might seem like a, an extremist on my page, even at my gym, I was known out of all the trainers that I had working for me at the gym, I was actually like the soft guy, meaning like my whole thing was finding, you know, those pain-free levels not having to overdo it. I only train three days a week. That's my philosophy is to train three days a week. Cause of course you could train every day. And if every day works, well then three days a week means it's going to work with even more recovery and, you know, less chance of overtraining or straining. So I don't think you're going to find many like obsessive fitness professionals who only train three days a week, never work through an ounce of pain. You know what I mean? So my, don't, don't worry about my kid. People, I think they assume like, oh my God, this kid's going to be like forced to do all kinds of crazy shit from a young age. Not at all. He's probably never even going to know that he was made to work out. And it'll just be about, you know, when he's a little kid dunking on the little tyke hoop, it'll be like, I'll challenge him to dunk with the other hand and jump off the other foot, you know? And then when he's, when he's like, uh, you know, starts playing sports and maybe he says that he wants to get his legs stronger or whatever, we'll make, you know, fun games of things like ATG split squat rather than I was pushed into, you know, heavy barbell squatting really around like age 13, you know? So, which just totally wasn't necessary for me at that age. So it's actually going to be most youth athletes growing up, their bodies are absolutely wrecked. And for him, it'll just be quite the opposite. What were the two or three top main problems you found in youth sport? there's a massive obsession with acceleration and you can look at this into how the money is proportioned in exercise science studies and sports science studies. They're so fascinated and obsessed with short term results of accelerating because let's face it. Most people get into exercise science. were slow kids who, you know, weren't the star athletes. That's why we got into, you know, exercise science. If we were the star athletes, we would have been, you know, on the, on the top teams and, 
playing pro sports. And I was, I was just like that. I became fascinated with training to try to handle my own, you know, poor speed and jumping. So the obsession becomes with acceleration, acceleration, acceleration. But if you look at a study on 13 to 15 year old kids, they had one group run forwards, one group only run backwards and the backwards group got faster at running forwards than the forwards group and gained four times more vertical jump. And it's, it doesn't mean that running forwards is wrong. It means that proportionally putting all your energies into acceleration and not the very muscles that are responsible for deceleration uh, is a huge mistake. And so if you think about when you jump, you know, your knee goes over your toe, you have to have the, you know, your, your hips and your acceleration muscles, that's your potential to run and jump. But then actually putting that into practice, you have to get a certain forward lean into your knees. Your body also has to trust you and you'll get more long-term results. The kid who knows he can decelerate will be more willing to open up to top speed, who can go into a jump without having to baby the jump because his ankles and his knees are weak. So hips, without question, are the accelerators and the potential. But the problem is then in exercise science, we put seven times more money into studying hips than ankles and knees. And I'm telling you that ankles are just as important as knees and knees are just as important as hips and exercise science has completely lost that fact. Why? Because our glutes look big and acceleration looks sexy, but just because our glutes are big, well, guess what? The gluteal tendons are very small. Meanwhile, the Achilles tendons are massive compared to the gluteal tendons. Then the patellar tendons get a little bit smaller, but the thighs get bigger. So there's an inverse ratio of muscle to tendon, meaning glutes, big calves, small quads in the middle, gluteal tendons, small, Achilles, huge, patellar and quad tendons in the middle. So your hips are your, your power, but your knees and your ankles are your springs. And really the ankles are the springiest. And then the knees are, you know, right in the middle. And, and maybe that's why the knees get effed so much is that they're like, you know, any mistake between ankle and hip can manifest in the knee. It's right in the middle. It's this middle quality of tendons and muscles. So, you know, the studies are checking the acceleration, the standing vertical jumps, but then what do we see on TV with the greatest athletes? They're cutting, they're stopping, they're jumping with a running start. Whereas our exercise science studies are usually just a standing vertical jump. Like my sport basketball, we're jumping with the running start, meaning we're putting just ungodly forces into our ankles and our knees, but the studies and the exercises we're doing are not preparing our ankles and knees. So I think that would be a microcosm of the youth sports problem is the obsession with short term acceleration results. Another common American sport is baseball. Our shoulder surgeries in youth have five X in the last 20 years. And again, it's all about how can you throw faster, throw faster, throw faster, but then they're not considering that shoulder surgeries have five X in the last 20 years because they're so obsessed with the acceleration of the throw and not training the deceleration muscles of the shoulder to be able to handle that throw. So our, our injuries like across the boards in youth sports are just soaring as everyone is obsessed with get little slow Jimmy fast now in eight weeks go. And even for that, the eight week study on the backward running got little slow Jimmy faster forwards than, than the group that was running forwards by just training to run backwards, which clearly just in those kids clearly just trained muscles that they had been skipping out on. So that's definitely like the, the microcosm of the, of the 
you know, the biggest problems in youth sports, short-term results at the expense of long-term health and at the expense of long-term results. Meaning now let's, what if you actually tracked these kids for 10 years to see what made the best athletes rather than just eight weeks or whatever, because you don't make a sports career in eight weeks. You don't make a good writer or piano player or anything in eight weeks. And you could actually screw a kid up for life by just cramming them, you know, for eight weeks and not taking into account the long-term factors on really any goal. With jumping, should people be focusing then on building really mobile ankles and also really strong anterior tibialises as well as building calves? Oh yeah, big time. Because if you look at, if you watch, you know, Michael Jordan in slow motion, you see that the he's building up with some great glutes and hamstrings. He's building up speed into the jump and then bam, right through that ankle. He has to be able to handle all that force. So unless you've got his natural elasticity in the ankle and, and his insane Achilles tendon, you might be just causing yourself shin splints, Achilles tendonitis. And so we're, we're completely neglecting these tibialis and soleus muscles and even just you know, just generally doing more work through the feet. So it's kind of like, doesn't matter how strong your hip is, if your knee can't handle it, and it doesn't matter how strong your knee is, if your ankle can't handle it, when it comes to actually jumping with a running start, you could have a pretty good standing vertical jump with just incredible hips and weak knees and ankles. Not that they wouldn't assist it, but you could, I've seen guys, for example, the I've trained so many athletes of so many different sports. And I remember training a guy and I tested his standing vertical jump and it was through the roof. And then we checked his running vertical jump and he couldn't even match what he could from a standstill. And this was a guy who deadlifted six plates each side, barehanded, like strongest, strongest deadlifter I've ever seen. Insane standing vertical jump could not even match the standstill jump when you gave him a running start and had just nasty ankle issues and things like that, that he thought he'd never even be able to play. Like he, he was into lifting. He thought he'd never be able to play serious sports and stuff because his ankles were so bad. Well, no wonder your ankles are so bad. You have some of the strongest hips on the planet. So it's interesting that the more you drive up that hip strength, it's just a responsibility. The stronger your hips get, the more chance of knee surgery you have, the more chance of shin splints, and ankle problems you have because you're going to have to now keep up with that force. So there's nothing wrong with driving up hip strength. And that's what it's going to take to be one of the best athletes on the planet, but your knees and ankles better measurably be able to handle. And that's exactly what we did with him. And he ended up being, he ended up making this guy wasn't even an athlete. He was just a freaky strong guy. And I was like, dude, I can, I can make you an athlete. And before we know it, he was, testing out as one of the top rookies for team USA Olympic bobsled. So I've taken guys repeatedly who are, you know, failed in sports or don't even play sports. And then if they had, you know, if they had the drive and they loved lifting weights and stuff, you know, just been able to, you know, kind of mathematically turn them into, into beasts. Cause it's just, it's just math there between ankle, knee, hips. So that's what we did. We got his ankles and his knees super strong to match his hips. And then the guy was just, you know, turned into a, a freak of nature. I have a couple of questions for you from my clients, if that's okay. They were very excited that I was going yeah. to be talking to you today. Oh, um, awesome. 
so Dave has asked, do you need to change the way you look after your knees as you get older? Well, I'm just going to speak from, you know, experience and people I've trained because I definitely try not to pretend to be an authority on something I don't know. And I'm sure I'll learn more like as I continue to age with my own body, but it's more about just having appropriate goals for what you're doing. Meaning if you want to get to a, you know, body weight bar on front, meaning like your own body weight and additional load, ass to grass split squat, that is what I've used so that I can play basketball like a menace, you know, without anything touching my knees in terms of pain. However, just working towards that goal is quite demanding in itself, you know? So for, for example, I just think that like for my mom, I don't even let her add weights to that exercise. I just make her maintain the ability to do it on flat ground, which for someone in their sixties is already, you know, puts you in the 1%. So I think it's about having appropriate goals and acknowledging yourself, you know, for what, like, what is your goal in your, in life? Now, if your goal is to win a powerlifting competition, then you're going to have to do what's necessary to do that, you know? But if you're, if your goal is to just have a high knee quality of life, then yeah, it might not be best to also be trying to, you know, win an Olympic weightlifting competition at the same time. If you're my mom at 66 years old, it doesn't mean you couldn't do it, but now that would mean that you're putting your energy towards that goal. So I think the key, I think the key as you age is just in terms of, you know, what the measurable goal is and being able to acknowledge yourself and take pride in that rather than, you know, being down on yourself because it's maybe not what someone younger is doing. And do you think if you start looking after your knees from now in 30 years time, you'll still be able to maintain a lot of the strength and movement that you built when you were younger? Oh yeah, 100%. And, and tons and tons of studies have just been done in general on the quality of muscle tissues and bone densities and things like that. So we know that exercise and that strength and muscle tissue are really key qualities as we age. So it happens to be easier to build those when you're younger, just in terms of hormones and stuff like that. It doesn't mean you can't build it as you age. It's just a fact. Same would go in terms of, uh, you know, if you started when you were 12 and you didn't go through the knee surgeries in the first place, obviously that would be ideal. So you have the, the amount of protection you have, the younger you are, the easier it is to build. And that then reduces the wear and tear from that point on. So yeah, unfortunately it does mean that the sooner you start the better. However, you know, I already had so much crazy alterations in my knee and it's, it's now been 11 years since my last surgical alteration and there's zero symptoms and it feels a million times better than it did. Cause I was still struggling with my knees a few years after the surgeries, you know, that's when, that's when I really went all in on this is because I had the surgeries and then was still having problems and then still tore more ligaments, which I didn't operate on. So now I'm 29. I can't speak on what it's like to be 60, but I do train tons of people in their sixties and it's just, it's just a different goal. But I'd say, yeah, the sooner you start, the less wear and tear you're going to have. And the more of that, you know, quality muscle tissue in the right areas you're going to have for the rest of your life. And Polina has asked, how bad are high heels for your joints? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I really don't. Uh, 
haven't haven't worn high heels, but I don't I don't think they're great. But if you look at the nature of it, there's really no such thing as a bad human movement, in my opinion. It's more about just the balances that it creates over time. So I would say for someone who is wearing high heels, if you look at that, well, you're encouraging your ankle to be really extended. You'll probably get stronger calves from it in an extended position. So if you if you balance that out by stretching your calves and by working on your ankle mobility, I mean, theoretically, you could actually be even stronger than someone who didn't wear high heels if you balance that out with, you know, so it's almost like, it's almost like, okay, you're wearing high heels. What would the opposite of high heels be, right? And that would be your ankle mobility. And specifically, you'd want to make sure that you're actually doing strength movements in that position. Even things like the ATG split squat are so cool because you're now loading into those positions. But since in the since wearing the high heel, since you are loading your calves, it's not just as simple as doing a calf stretch. That would be a good start, but you'd actually want to get, you'd, you'd actually want to do, you know, you would need some loading in those, in that ankle mobility positions. And then, yeah, you'd probably be, I don't know, you probably have, you know, even stronger calves. Excellent. What are some good ways for somebody to build flexibility in their feet? Oh, that's a good question. And by nature, a lot of, a lot of what we do does that. If you think about, if you think about the backward walking and the backward sledding without realizing it, you're doing a lot of loading through your, your big toes and they're under some stretch. And basically it's, it can be tough to really get in there and get tons of mobility in your feet without it hurting. And so that's why I like all the backward walking and the reverse sledding kind of concept is that without realizing it, you're getting a lot of strengthening into those areas so that as you do start to dig deeper into your feet, you're not likely to be, you know, overdoing it. Your body will be prepared for it. And I'm actually, one of my upcoming articles is I'm taking pictures and I'm showing just that, which movements relate to the foot flexibility. My personal favorite is actually the ATG split squat. Cause if you look at the back foot without realizing it, every time you're doing your ATG split squats, you're loading and you're stretching. Like if you look, one of my recent posts is doing flat ground ATG split squats for anyone who's on Instagram go ahead and please look at my back foot and you're going to see how much that back foot, that plantar area and everything is stretching like crazy. So by nature, since I'm not just doing these, you know, flat footed, no knee over toe squat deadlift, you know, the common, most common leg workouts, you could look at someone's whole leg workout, leg extensions, nothing happened in your feet, leg presses, nothing happened in your feet, squats, nothing happened in your feet. If it's, you know, just a typical restricted, range squat deadlifts nothing happened to your feet your feet are not bending at all in a in a traditional leg workout so foot pains themselves are almost turning into an epidemic it's almost like everyone has i feel like we all have like some kind of foot pain or another but then again what are we putting our energy on we're getting stronger everywhere but our feet getting mobile everywhere but our feet but then if you look at the common movements we use from the back you know from the from the backward concept, strengthening and stretching those big toes to then the reverse step-ups, mobilizing the ankle, the tibialis, strengthening the ankle. Because that the stronger your tibialis, the less pounding goes into your feet in the first place. To then our different calf raises, to then the ATG split squat, to then even the freaky one I do that not everyone has to do, which is like a, like a sissy squat. That's a whole other subject for another day. But then even that one, look at your toes on that one. So my whole leg development system, every drill is actually, you know, putting money in the bank for your feet as well. 
And why do you think it's so important to build feet that are strong and flexible? First off is just the pain. And then second off is that the more studies that are done, it just shows that basically the less ability you have lower, well, that force has to go somewhere, right? So it's kind of like, like theoretically, if you had the strongest calves in the universe, you'd never even have to bend your knees, you know, and you could jump up and dunk a basketball just by extending your ankle. Now we know it's not like that. So, but basically the more ability you have starting from your toes to foot, to ankle, to shins, then the less wear and tear there is on the knee. And it's just, it's just a math equation, meaning we don't know of any human being able to get strong enough in the ankle that they can like, you know, dunk without bending their knees. But it's, it's part of that math equation. So if your feet are a four and they go up to a seven, well, now you just reduce the wear and tear on the ankle and then the ankle and so on to the shin and then the shin muscles and so on to the knee and, and, and upwards like that. So I just think we're really setting ourselves up, you know, what, what weighs on us in life? It's just the gravity over many years, you know? So the bigger our upper bodies get for every set of bench press, did we get our feet stronger? If not, well, we're kind of asking the universe for, for foot pains, for fallen arches, for, you know, all these kind of things. That's a really good way of thinking about it, especially for yeah. people who do just train their chest and their shoulders all of the time. So they're getting heavier, but their feet aren't getting any stronger. I hadn't really thought of it like that. Yeah. And that's kind of the trick of if we only base things on exercise science and not based on observation, we're just literally hundreds of years away from having adequate studies. Cause you'd have to say, okay, in people who don't do any work through the feet, let's see how they're doing at age 75. You know what I mean? Like it's just the, to get to the truth of exercise, you know, quote unquote science. Well, I, we're probably hundreds of years away from having enough long-term studies to look at the effect of gravity on people who don't let their knee over their toes. But you know, the effect of gravity on people who, what happens to someone's arches measure their arches now at age 12 and now measured again at age 50, you know, like the, to get to the, to get to those kind of solutions, it's just not something you can test in a few weeks. If someone is already flat footed, just naturally, and then that ends up with a knock on effect on like ankle and knee pain. Do you think that they can strengthen everything enough to make the pain go away question a and then do you think they can strengthen everything enough to actually reduce the flat arch i i know for a fact that you can because when i started getting glimpses of this, glimpses of this stuff i had a friend at a running shop telling me how bad my arches were and you stand on this thing and it and it tells you how your arches are and i went back a few years later and my graph had totally changed and my graph had also changed at a chiropractor i would look at your flat feet just like a, you know, a posture that changes over years. Right. So it's not like the bones in your spine and stuff. It's not like they're, it's not, like you have different bones, same bones, but it's how are the muscles holding up those bones and your feet are not just bones. About 25% of the muscles in your body are from the ankle and below it's your, your feet are chock full of muscles. So that's the muscles job. The muscles job is to hold up the body. So I know for a fact for myself, but again, it's like, I'm so busy doing things that it's definitely an easy criticism to say, oh, well, then why haven't you done some study with blah, blah, like, <laughs> I don't know, because I had a friend at a running shop who tested me. I went back a few years later, 
I've been busy as hell <laughs> trying to coach people. I wouldn't even know how to get some study done officially, but almost on a daily basis. Now I get people themselves who are like, Oh, I'm in college doing my research on this for my PhD or this or that. What do you think? I sh- What's a good study? Oh, I'm going to try this. I'm going to test this. So things will start to improve on that. But again, in terms of the feet, I think it would take a few years, you know, studies. It's just, it's a lot to do studies on something. And it's a little to just kind of like open our eyes and, and at least try, you know, sensible routes. I don't think we need studies for everything that, you know, like it, they're cool, no doubt. But like to see some studies where it's like, wow, $7 million was just spent to determine exercise improves your happiness. Oh my God. Wow. What a breakthrough. You know, it's like, could we have just skipped that one maybe? And like, just assumed, you know, anyways. <laughs> um, okay. So I have one more client question for you. So Rachel cool. wanted to know if you could recommend any supplements that help with joint health. Now I know that you're not a nutritionist, so I don't know if you can answer this question, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Oh man. I would say that the best advice would be to go to someone who specializes in that because I've intentionally, I don't take any supplements of any kind. Now, let me tell you, you know, rewind 10 years. And I remember I was taking like 27 pills a day, you know, of different, of all kinds of different, like I was trying to supplement my way out of my problems. So I can tell you from my personal experience, I was not able to supplement my way out of my problems. And my training was so bad that it was very cloudy, I think, and difficult to determine the results. Just like with my knee system, I needed to use it with thousands of people to really get shit right. So I would go to, you know, go to someone who's, who works on supplements with dozens, hundreds, thousands of people, whatever, because then now if you, if you are someone who wants to take supplements, now you'll probably get even better results. But I intentionally, at a certain point, once I start having results, I was like, I actually need to make sure that I don't take any supplements because otherwise, how do I know if it's from my system or from the supplement? So it's been years now since I've taken a single supplement of any kind. Just so you can test on yourself. Exactly. Cause I have to know where are the results coming from. So, uh, my, my, you know, the, the original mentor I mentioned, Charles Poliquin, he advises no joke, 30 to 45 grams of fish oil per day. So if you're taking capsules, that means 30 to 45 capsules, which I did many times. Now, if you look in liquid form, you can actually get about 15 grams in a tablespoon. So you only have to take two to three tablespoons and just hope that you are not going on any dates or have any significant (laughs) other that you're going to have to kiss. Because even if they try to put that lemon or orange scented, whatever into the fish oil, I'm just saying it's pretty extreme. My point is that's what he advised, but I don't take even a gram of fish oil because I just, I have to know what do my knees feel like with no, and I don't do any uh, forms of body treatment either. No self-treatment with rollers. No, you know, people try to, cause I'm the knee guy. So people assume like people send me like the latest like lasers and this or that and to break it. I just don't do any, no body treatment, no supplements. So I'd be the worst person to advise you on those, but find, you know, specialists in different things. You also might not want to go to me to learn, you know, uh, like I, I think, I don't know if this is who we mutually met through, but I love this girl, Shante Cofield. And she kind of 
she taught me a lot about how to run social media, right? So just because I have, you know, social media followers, you know, I'm, but I'm not necessarily an expert in that. She's helped, you know, so many people with that. So I would say for someone, yeah, find someone, if you're in the market for it, find someone who's really good with body work, find someone who's really good with supplements, things like that. Like go to, go to specialists in different things rather than just taking one person's word for it. It's kind of a common mistake, which I'm sure, you know, is like the know-it-all trainer who just knows everything about everything, you know? that's why it got really hard for me to to work out in like commercial gyms is just overhearing what trainers were saying to their clients I remember watching a trainer that the client was asking about doing like a snatch or something and he was like oh you're either born with that or, or not and I'm like oh my god like how is this guy and this was like a nice facility you know this lady was paying like top dollar and then and then the next time I heard a trainer a famous trainer, actually, I'm not going to say their name. They have more followers than I do. And they were like, tendons are a mystery. They <laughs> literally told that I'm like, okay, I can't. Anyway, sorry to get sidetracked. But you get my point is that it's a mistake to just like, you know, if I don't take supplements, then I just don't think I'm the right person to ask about that. That's sorry for the enough. super long answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much for your time today. This has been really interesting and thank you for multitasking so you can still look after your son. <laughs> Do we're, having, we're having a good walk here. That's I'm real pleased. It looks really sunny where you are. I'm a bit jealous. Oh yeah. Come, <laughs> come visit sometime. Oh man, that'd be so nice. Where are you? Los Angeles. Yes. LA. That's it's on the list. If we're ever not in a pandemic, you know, and we're allowed to leave the house. Seriously, <laughs> seriously. So at the end of each episode, I like to ask my guests to share a fun fact. It can be, it can be anything. Do you have a fun fact for us? Well, you already told me to be prepared for this and I still don't have a fun fact. Probably, I don't know, probably just that I'm like a crazy obsessed dog person. Love dogs. I don't know. That's like, I have have the simplest life. Yeah, I have a, I have a little pit bull and oh my God, do I like spoil him? He sleeps in the bed with me and my wife. It's ridiculous. He's like, I feed him a whole rotisserie chicken every night and I feed him like gluten-free toast in the morning. (laughs) Anyways, I should probably just stop there. I'm not kidding. It's not a joke. Like he has a grass-fed beef patty with gluten-free toast for breakfast in the morning with butter. You can like sense the noticeable disappointment if I forget to put butter on his toast. (laughs) So that's like my embarrassing fun fact whatever is I mean is, that's uh, excellent I feel like your dog is living his best life my mom yeah. used to make my <laughs> dog a plate of breakfast when she made us all breakfast so the dog would also get some eggs and sausages in the morning that's cute but it's good because dog food is like let's do another hour on like the conspiracy of how bad dog food is <laughs> it's, it's killing our dogs cancer's up 5x in like the last 10 years in our dogs these dog food companies are just running rampant it's hard. Do you think that's because they're just allowed to put whatever they want in it? Yeah. And it's just, it's just to make the money, you know, like it's to put the cheapest possible things in the dog food. And, you know, there's a number of things they put in there. It's just so like, we assume dogs are just like different and it's like, Oh, they're just eating like dog food and that's okay. So it's, it's just very tricky to find a brand. So my mistake was only that in struggling to find a brand that actually 
I could feel good about, well, then by that point in the interim, my dog was used to <laughs> eating with me. <laughs> and so now, even if I find something that's like, hits the health qualifications, he looks at it, he's like, that's not food, dad. I will have my grass-fed beef patty, please, or I will starve. Like, he literally just, like, won't eat it. <laughs> so, I mean, you can see the problem I got into. He got yeah, used to he, eating with me while I was trying to find a food that didn't have all the shit in it anyways. It's fine. You've caused your own problem, but you have a really happy dog, and I think yeah. it's a myth that dogs aren't supposed to eat human food. I don't know who made that story up, but... I Right, it's just food. There's not, like, it's just... It's food. It's not, like... <laughs> yeah, I know what you're saying. It Yeah, so... Anyone listening with a dog, if you want to feed your dog some actual chicken, they'll probably really love you for that. <laughs> yeah. And my, my dog literally was a rescue who like escaped from like a really nasty situation that appeared like he would have wound up one of those like fighting dogs and stuff. Mm -hmm. And he literally like escaped himself and was all beaten up and found in the streets. And me and my wife saw a Facebook post. So I, the way I look at it, I'm like, you know, this guy made it out so he can enjoy his, you know, like. He's living, he's living the dream now, but it's like, uh, I don't know. He, de he deserves it. Oh, bless him. If people would like to find you and, uh, see pictures of your dog and also learn about <laughs> knees, where can they do so? Right now, Instagram is the best place, uh, trying to get onto more mediums, but it's like, I have my groove on Instagram. I do answer all DMS, not instantaneously, but I actually answer them and I try to have my goal is to have like a free helpful article for everything. So like whatever someone reaches out about, I hate having to just like try to immediately sell them. Like I'm going to try to sell you because <laughs> that's my job. But like I have pretty good free articles too, that you can honestly learn a lot of good stuff, you know, no matter what degree you want, even if you already have your own coach and stuff like that, I'm not pushy. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Ben. And I'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much. Next time, I got to have you on my podcast. I feel like I've been talking way too much. I'd love to reverse it on you. Oh, that would be excellent. I would love that. Now we Good. have it recorded. <laughs> oh, yeah. Can't wait. Thanks so much for listening to the Strong Habits podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, I would love it if you could rate and review it on Apple iTunes. I'd also really appreciate it if you shared this episode with your friends and colleagues. That would mean a lot to me. You can find me, Penny Vavridis, on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at SuperPenny. Penny is spelt with an IE. I work with clients online and in person at Finsbury Park Pure Gym. One-to-one -one spaces are limited, but get in touch if you would like to work with me. I will be putting links to today's guest in the episode description, so check it out if you would like to find them. Until next time, folks. Mm -hmm.